Please stand for the reading of God's word. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to the heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephetha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even made the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. Will you one more time give a huge hand to uh, a huge thank you to our worship team this morning and Jason and Anna and Bree. And Bree, well done. Pronunciation. When Jesus starts speaking Aramaic, it's like, oh no, I, I can't even say it. I, why don't you just like Make the word simple. Call the places Denver and Littleton and the last name Smith. You know, it's, it's how it feels when you read the Bible sometimes. Well, again, thank you for joining us. If we've not met, my name's Nathan. I get to be pastor here at the church. Um, I offer no dancing this morning, okay? That was all the kids earlier. But we, we appreciate that you've chosen to join us this morning, whether in person or online. Uh, if it's your first time, we, we've actually been going through the Gospel of Mark together as a congregation over time, and we're actually going to, we're going to do that this morning, the whole thing. No, just one piece of it, and then we're going to take a break, actually, for the rest of July and through August, and you are going to hear from um, a few different voices in our congregation, actually, uh, in the coming weeks, and so you'll get more detail about that, but we'll be going back to a series we did last summer called Life Verses. Life verses, because there are some people in this congregation that have some incredible stories and testimonies to share, and we are edified and built up and encouraged by those things. And so uh, I encourage you to join us uh, the rest of July through August as well. So that being said, this morning we're actually wrapping up Mark chapter 7. Now, when you get into Mark chapter 7, you read this account that Bree just read for us. It's, I, I don't know, at this point after seven chapters, it's like, oh, Jesus is doing the Jesus thing again, you know. He healed another one, and, uh, and somebody else got healed. And, and you can kind of glaze over and, and, and overlook just how incredible stuff like this is. But what I want to draw your attention to this morning is where this account is taking place in the, the broader structure of the book of Mark. Because if you were to look, and if you've been tracking with us the, these previous weeks, Jesus has been doing something very, very specific through Mark chapter 6. It kind of started in Mark chapter 5, continued through Mark 6. You see it in Mark 7. Jesus, who, who showed up, and, and he's just ministering left and right, and it's like he's just, he's just doing it, suddenly turns to these disciples that are following him. And he says, come on. Come on, I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to bring you in on it. I'm, I'm actually bringing you in on what I'm up to. And so they're put into circumstances that we've talked about. You know, they look in the mirror and they just go, I can't do that. There's no way I could actually do what you've been doing, Jesus. And, and you know, under, between the lines, you can, you can hear him whispering, it's, it's not up to you kind of thing. And, and they've been learning some lessons, and it's going to take them hundreds of times to get this figured out, just like us. But finally, you get to Mark chapter 7, and there's another healing. And we actually don't know. Mark doesn't tell us if any of the disciples were there. But this moment in, at the end of Mark chapter 7 comes before Mark 8 through 10. Now, let me tell you about Mark 8 through 10. Mark chapters 8 through 10 are some of the most specific and sustained teaching on discipleship that we have in the New Testament. And so I want you to connect the dots here for a second. Jesus is saying, I want to bring you in on what I'm up to, and I'm going to show you what that looks like. And we'll pick that up again um, in September, Mark 8 through 10. But this morning, this, this episode at the end of Mark 7, I believe is a fitting place to land. Because one of the things he's going to show them, and he has to remind us constantly, is that, hey, guys, I'm not up for just sharing messages. I am actually shaping messengers. Okay? God, God still today does not just share messages. And that's really what you got to know this morning. He's not just in the business of sharing messages. He is shaping his messengers. And this is what he's doing with his disciples. And this is what he's still doing today. Now, l- let me give you an example. Uh, it was 2013. We, uh, our, our oldest, Lainey, was six years old. She was actually here for, it was, I believe we had Awanas on a Monday night here at the church. And so she was up here. My wife was working at the hospital the night shift, so she was at work. And True, our, our middle child, she's sitting right over here now in the junior high group. But at that time, she was two years old. Okay, so I dropped Lainey off in Awana. I take True home. We're just hanging out for a little bit. And um, I did this thing where you parents, you know this moment, where you go, it's a little quiet. Like, it's a little too quiet. You know that? You bunch of liars. Okay, yeah, there's, you know, we've all had this moment. It's just been a little too quiet for a little bit too long. And I turned, and True, you know those Glade plugins. She had pulled one out of the wall, and she was just drinking that thing like a Slurpee. So I was like, oh, gosh, I'm going to call Poison Control. So I called Poison Control, and I believe my lead-in was, hey, this is Father of the Year Nathan Harrison, 2013. Um, now, I'm talking to this, this lady, and um, she prefaced by saying, uh, hang on, let me get my paper here. And I hear all this paper rustling, and I thought, I wonder when I'm going to get to tell her what happened because this is poison control. You know, I, I, I just want to be able to share what happened. And she said, okay, what's going on? And I said, well, my, I, I wasn't watching. My daughter pulled one of those Glade plugins out of the wall and she's just like drinking this thing. You know, it's got a little rope and it's saturated with whatever scented oil they've got in there. And she just, okay. And she's just happy as can be. There's no, there's no you know, visible effect or anything like that. So I'm explaining this to the lady, and there was, a, there was a pause. And she went, sir, I need you to calm down. And I went, uh, okay, you know, I'm not going to argue with you right now. I just want to know how to help my daughter. She's like, okay. Uh, and I just hear pages turning. And I, 
Finally, she's like, it's my second day on the job. <laughs> and I refrain from saying, ma'am, I'm going to need you to calm down, okay? <laughs> but I just went, that's okay. Bottom line, there's true. She's okay, all right? So congratulations, true. I knew what I was doing the whole time. All right. Um, and I just thought, there it is. That's exactly what it is. You know, when, when you've got a message, you know, and, 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 and we're talking about Christianity, right? This isn't poison control. But when you've got a message to send, it'd be helpful if the messengers, you know, embodied that message, right? Yeah, we all get that. You, we've all gone places where you've been completely turned off from the product because of the messenger, right? Or the representatives of it. And so what Jesus is going to do here, I, I just, as I sat with this, I went, man, what a picture of what the messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we ought to embody. And it's not a try on your own strength thing. It's a when he fills us with his spirit, we'll embody these things. And one of the major, major, major themes of Mark, and you're going to hear it come September, is that Jesus was the servant of all servants. And not just was he the servant of all servants. Mark, you're going to see this throughout Mark. He is the suffering servant. He is the servant who came and he suffered on our behalf. And so it's going to take the disciples a little bit to get this. And it takes you and I a whole long time to get this. But we have a savior who suffered on our behalf in order to serve other people. And so when I look at this account, as we walk through this account, I just want to highlight I believe if you've got the sermon notes, there are seven bullet points there, and we left a lot of blank space. But I want to highlight seven different observations that I, that I count just throughout this passage about what we ought to embody. If it's true that God is shaping his messengers, then Jesus gives us these incredibly specific things throughout this passage as he heals this man. And so let me jump in here. This is chapter 7, verses 31 and 32. Let's start there. It says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Now, at first you just read this and you think, okay, great, Mark, thanks for getting us oriented. But there is something, if you're familiar with the layout of, of where Jesus was moving around during his earthly life, there is something that just jumps out here. It is so, it just appears to be so inefficient, okay? And this is something that happens throughout Scripture, all right? Let me take you back. Remember the Israelites? They're, they're, you know, they're freed. They, they come out of Egypt, and they're, and they're headed to the promised land, okay? I, I reproduced a completely accurate map for you, okay? Yes, and that's what they called it back then. It was water. There was no name for the sea or anything. Actually, I'm totally lying, but... You can see it's pretty straight shot, right? Three hours by car, you know, back then. Okay, here's the actual historical journey they took right there, all right? And that is pretty much how it happened. But you look at this stuff and you just think, God, that's so inefficient. I mean, you, they wandered, but you helped them wander. You ever feel like that? Like, Lord, what are we doing here? I mean, if we would just take step one, step two, step three, you know, A, B, C. I mean, we get there a lot faster than this is taking. I mean, I feel like I'd maybe do a better job than you. And here's one of the things you got to remember about God. Is that God is wandering 
and looks inefficient for a reason. There's a purpose to this. And so when we read verses 31 and 32 here, I mean, he he moves from Tyre to the Decapolis. Now, if you were to pull up a map, and I don't I didn't, I didn't draw this one, okay? But if, if you were to pull up a map, it would be like you're in Denver and you want to go to Castle Rock, but you're first going to drive to Lyman and Colorado Springs to get to Castle Rock. It makes no sense, does it? Why would God do things that way? Why would he appear to be so inefficient? Let me ask you, if you wanted to go to Castle Rock, what would cause you to go to Lyman and then to Colorado Springs before you came to Castle Rock? What would cause you to do that? Perhaps there's somebody in Lyman that you care about. And maybe there's somebody in Colorado Springs that you love on your way to Castle Rock. See, do you want want to know what God did when he appeared so inefficient? Is he went out of his way for a relationship. That's why God did it. And that's the thing we miss so often, right? We think efficiency and God thinks effective. Oh, we think this would just be more efficient. And he goes, no, I've got a relationship in mind. I will go out of my way and out of the way and outside your ways for a relationship. So he goes all over the place. Jesus, one day he's traveling and it says he's going along the border of Samaria now, to people at that time, if they, if they could see with our eyes today, they'd be like, wait a second, you were trying to go to the lost sheep of Israel. They weren't there on the border of Samaria. What were you doing there? Well, Jesus had people he loved there. Come to think of it, Jesus, you were in heaven. Why go out of your way? Why interrupt that to come to earth for a relationship? That's why. That's why he did it. And so one of the first elements, if we're going to meet the needs of people, is simply this. That we've got to be positioned to hear the cries of people. We have got to be positioned to hear the cries of people. You want to know why he was where he was? Because it made him accessible. They brought this guy to him, and they're crying for help. You've got to do something to help him. But a lot of times, it's like those, have you tried those noise-canceling headphones? I mean, the technology they're coming out with is amazing. So I, I was, had some on yesterday and this morning on a morning walk. And a lot of times, you know what's nice? is to just block out all the outside noise and get into your own world. So I turned on the noise cancellation actually just this morning on a walk. And this guy flew by me. I mean, I was on the sidewalk. It's a big, wide sidewalk. It's going along Kipling. I'm heading north. And listen, it's like 5.45 in the morning. It's my sidewalk, Okay. Nobody else can be on this sidewalk. And this guy on a bike just like goes flying by me. And I could tell he'd kind of lost control, probably because I was in my world, right? I can't hear anything. I'm kind of like moving right and left. I was not dancing, okay? But, you know, just, just back and forth. And I could tell he mouthed some words at me. And I can't say those words in church. But, you know, it's just like this is what we do sometimes. We can cancel the noise around us. And we can completely miss stepping into the need as his messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the first one. Keep heading through. Verse 33. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his 
ears into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Now, you're going to be so shocked over what you just read that you're going to miss something that Mark said here, okay? So we'll get to the ears and the tongue, and it's just weird, okay? We'll get to that in just a second. But I want you to notice how that verse began. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, away from the crowd. I mean, isn't it true we just can't hear sometimes? I mean, we're all susceptible to it. You know, there are worldly cries, there are worldly affections, there are worldly companions, and the world is just shouting all the time. And so Jesus, recognizing that this guy's part of the crowd, remember the crowd's just been building throughout Mark, and this crowd is following everywhere. And part of the reason Jesus would tell people after he healed them, don't tell anybody, is because he knew that the crowd was just going to continue to be an obstacle to what he was up to. And yet here he is, and he removes the guy from the crowd. Now just think about that for a minute. You know, I don't know every single journey in here, but many of you have talked about a moment in which you encountered Jesus or you encountered God. And oftentimes, even if you're in the middle of a crowd, it is like the crowd never existed, isn't it? You know why? Because he deals with us so personally. And he deals with us as a body, as a church, but he also deals with us so individually. It's so personal that he he cares enough to take us aside and not shout, not try to yell over the crowd, but to whisper to us. Just to whisper. And see, that's, that's another one of those elements. If we're truly going to meet needs and to step into the needs and be his messengers, we have to be able to urge people away from the crowd's perspective. <clears throat> we'll keep going. Verse uh, 33, the second part of verse 33. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. All right, please don't do this, okay? I mean, if I, if I hear that you do this and they say, wow, where is your pastor? I'm going to say, I don't know. I have never seen him, never heard of him. I actually read in the middle of the pandemic, a pastor, I believe it was out in Oklahoma. He actually did this in a service in the middle of the pandemic. And I just thought, oh my goodness, what are you doing? Or, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe he was told to do that, but I just thought, oh man. And here's the thing, we get so caught up by how strange some of these actions are that we miss really what it is behind it. You want to know what this says to me? What this says to me, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spit and touched the man's tongue. This is a savior who knew the unique need of this man. Jesus knew this man's unique need. And one of the things we do, especially in the name of efficiency, is we assume we know the need, right? There's, I've talked to you before about this book called When Helping Hurts. When Helping Hurts. And what it talks about is actually American Christianity. What churches often do is we'll go on mission trips, we'll go overseas, we'll show up in areas that have different soil, They have different uh, way of life. They have a different culture. And we'll show up and we give them our American solution to what they ought to be doing. You know, just grow these crops and it'll turn out like this and everything will be good. And then they go home and they they start throwing out stats and numbers. Well, here's, here's all we did. And here's the number of people we helped. And yet the people that they went to are actually left with something that uses none of their natural resources, none of their surroundings, and doesn't really help them at all. 
See, we have to be able to not just urge people away from the perspective of the crowd, but we've got to be people who know the unique needs of the people around us. That's the third bullet point. Do we know the needs of the people around us? So much so that it would be like Jesus. He goes, look, your, your issue is your ears and your tongue. And so I'm going to address that need. But again, please don't walk out of here and go put your fingers on somebody's ears and touch their tongue, okay? I'd really appreciate that. Uh, They would too. Anyway, uh, verse 34. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh. Now I'm going to stop there because again, these are those phrases. These are those pieces of phrases that there's just so much to it. He looked up to heaven. Let me start there, okay? Why? Would Jesus look up to heaven first? Let me come from a different angle. What if he started with a deep sigh? What if Jesus started with the deep sigh? I mean, have you had those days where you wake up and it's like, oh gosh, it's already here. Yeah, it's just a deep sigh. But Jesus doesn't start there. Jesus looks up to heaven. You know what what we're seeing here? Is he maintains a heavenly perspective. That's that next bullet point, maintaining a heavenly perspective. Now, you know what happens when you maintain a heavenly perspective? First and foremost, you get renewed by it, and I get renewed by it. But the other thing it does is it gives us great guidance. You know, when we look ahead at what we're doing, we need guidance for it, don't we? And so Jesus, what what he's displaying here is that prioritizing a heavenly perspective first and foremost, the perspective of the Father. Because without it, everything starts with a deep sigh, and you know what happens? You never get around to the heavenly perspective. Okay, here, here's a little mowing tip, okay? We're back to lawn business stuff here for a second, okay? And again, I used to charge money for this kind of wisdom, so um, you can drop money in the buckets on the way out. But if you're mowing your lawn, how many of you, it's going to take some humility to, to admit this, how many of you struggle with straight lines when you're mowing your lawn? All right, thank you. The rest of you, again, lying to me, all right? So here's what you do. You get, I used to mow this field out here. And one of the greatest things you can do is get your eye not on what's right in front of you, but at the end of the line, okay? That's the perspective you stay on, and you will get to the end of that line. You won't even get to the next line because you'll be like, wow, that was the straightest line I've ever mowed in my life. It's exhilarating, and you won't know until you do it. So try it today, and let me know how it goes, Okay. But see, this is what happens. Okay, it's not just a mowing thing. This is a daily thing. We maintain a heavenly perspective, and then, and then Jesus gave a deep sigh. Then he gave a deep sigh. And you know what he's showing us by that? This is the next bullet point. He maintained a holy burden. So you know what Jesus was able to do so well? Heavenly perspective, holy burden. Heavenly perspective, holy burden. But if we start with a burden, there is really nothing holy about it. We just go downhill. I mean, and everything's just terrible, 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 and there's, there's just no hope, right? This is why I've, I've been a huge, and I'm not trying to point at any network in particular, but if you are just constantly living on a diet of the news, you're going to wake up with a deep sigh every single day. And that heavenly perspective is going to fade, fade, fade. I mean, just don't touch it. If you've got to change your Google search page to that blank 
white page, do it. I mean, I did, and it was wonderful. Yes, we need to be tuned in to what's going on. But we cannot be so inundated that we're just a deep sigh is all we have to offer everywhere we go. And, and, and if, if you struggle with that, please be encouraged by what you saw up here this morning. Right? Because we look around at the world and we just see a, a, all kinds of reasons to sigh, don't we? And yet all these children, all these children, from the mouths of little ones, God has ordained his praise. Heavenly perspective to inform a holy burden of those in front of us. Well, we keep going. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, <clears throat> he said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Be opened. You know what the language throughout scripture is? It's be opened. You know what sin did to every single one of us? Shut down. Close up. And Jesus looks at all of it. He says, now, be opened. Be open." I was so humbled at the beginning of this week. You guys, many of you know that one of our ministry partners here at the church is Alternatives Pregnancy Center. And in the middle of a few weeks ago, the Supreme Court decision you know, on abortion, on Roe versus Wade, they overturned it. Many of you know this, right? And so you, you would think, and, and the, the head of Alternatives, she said to me, she said, Nathan, as lovers of life, incredible victory for us. But the shouts are deafening. I mean, if you've paid any attention the last few weeks, those that have been pro-choice have gotten very loud and very malicious. But there, there have been some on the pro-life side. This was so interesting to me. She said, the pro-life side's gotten malicious as well. And Jesus, we have to be able to look at it and go, be opened. So she's sharing these stories. You know, there, there was actually a prayer request for a young woman. She came in. She's pregnant. And her boyfriend has said, listen, you're going to get an abortion or you're never going to hear from me again. And I just thought, you know what I do? I take so for granted the situations that people walk in and walk next to. I mean, it's easy when it's at a distance, right? And yet here they are and they're walking next to this young girl who, who is trying to decide, do I keep this baby? Do I give in to what my boyfriend is urging me to do? And I just thought, oh. My goodness. And yet they've maintained the heart of really what Jesus is saying here. Be opened. Be opened. God is about life. Be open. This is what Jesus says to all of us. And so we ought to be able to be those who, when we step into needs, we got to be able to speak life to people. That's that next bullet point. Can we speak life? In fact, let me just ask you. And I know I challenged you with this a couple of weeks ago. One of the best things every single one of us could do is look to those who are near and dear to us and say, what's been coming out of me lately? I mean, like when we talk, when we have conversations, what's been coming out of me? Are you just hearing the deep sigh? I mean, is it just this burden, 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 and everything's heavy and everything's dark and nothing's going to work? And, you know, it's just, it's all, it's all just going downhill. Or do we have a message? We have a message of life because that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. It's one that says, be opened. And the result, <clears throat> we read it here. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. 
Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. Now, here's this thing that you just see from Jesus over and over and over. Jesus, why the silence? You know, I've shared with you before at his trial, we read about how silent he was. It's like one of the few times I yell at the Bible because I just think, do something. And you're God, you can do anything about it. And, and as this crowd is growing, I think, well, no, go tell people. Share this message. And yet, you, you know what Jesus embodied there? I mean, sure, there was a timing thing for him because the cross hadn't happened yet. And we are, are about sharing that message now. But the other piece here for Jesus that I believe he embodies is that heart of humility. And that's that last bullet point. Maintaining and cultivating a heart of humility. Because you know what we'd be doing? I mean, if we were in his sandals, we'd be like, I'm, I'm going to write a book. We're going to put a movie out. You know, it's going to be amazing. We're going to charge people to walk through the door and even wave at us. You know, it's just, we, we, we get so caught up in how we can somehow, you know, profit and gain our own glory from it. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I, I've, I've got to be about my father's business in his time and in his way. And so we cultivate a heart of humility. Now, let me ask you something. If you were to just think through, if somebody showed up in your life and it was somebody that was positioned to hear your cries, it was somebody who could urge you away from the crowd's perspectives, if it was somebody who knew your unique needs, who could continue to point you to a heavenly perspective and maintain a holy burden, yeah, if it was somebody who could do all of that as well, as continue to show up in your life over and over and over, would that send you a message? You bet it would. It absolutely would, especially when they do it with such humility. That would change things, wouldn't it? And you go, look, they're not just throwing a message out there. I mean, that's a messenger. They embody what they're up to. Now, here's why I bring all that up. Because you know what sin has done to you and me? It has wired us to want and desire everything opposite of what we just walked through. Right? You just take every single one of those things that we just wrote down, and honestly, the temptation is just to go do the exact opposite of all of it, isn't it? So I bring this up because while those could be practical things that you go work, work, work really hard on, and we need to be aware of, of opportunities to live those out, None of it is happening without a savior. It's just not. This is why I'm such a proponent that your salvation did not just happen at an altar call. It may have been a moment in time that marked something, but each and every single day, you and I need the savior to even begin to embody this stuff, to begin to be shaped into the messengers that he wants. You and I are the deaf and mute man. And so first and foremost, every single one of us ought to be walking out of here going, Lord, oh man, hear my cries. Show up in my situation so that I can be used of you because I want to proclaim your message, but I want to be your messenger. And that begins to change things. And people respond to it differently. In fact, here's how they responded. And we'll end here. Verse 37. <clears throat> people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What if that 
was your goal? I mean, what if that was the goal of, of your life, right? Many of us, we, we, if you're familiar with uh, this scripture, we think, I want to get to the end of this life and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and absolutely, every single one of us does. But for right now, that's at the end of the line. Right now, we ought to be people that other people look at what Jesus has done in our lives and they say, not that person has done everything well. Wow, Jesus has done everything well. Look what he did with you. There's a message in your life because you're his messenger that he has shaped and formed for his purposes to share his message. I love the quote I came across this last week by a man named J.C. Ryle. He said, a holy believer is a walking sermon. And I thought, amen to that. That's the kind of life that people look at. And they say, wow, Jesus has done everything well. And so I'll close with that. That's a thought that will continue in this week's midweek email. If you'd like to get that and you're not on the list, you can just message email to our church number, 303-972-4904. It's on the bottom of your bulletin. But right now, I'm going to invite the worship team back up and let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, wow, I mean, there is just, your word is so incredibly rich. And as we came across this account of yet another healing, Lord, we're reminded. We're reminded that you could do it all without us, and yet you chose to do it with us. And you know ministry better than any of us has figured out, and Lord, you chose to bring us in on it. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that Mark 7, 31 through 37, would just speak to us in such a rich way. And I don't just mean in a sermon, but Lord, in the, in the hours, in the days, in this next week, over the next month as we walk forward, Lord, cultivate that desire in our hearts. Cultivate the substance of serving other people. It is not just a message, but you are shaping your messengers. And Lord, we are grateful that you looked upon us and said, yes, I want you to be part of that. And Lord, once again, draw us back to your cross. Paul, for a reason, said, I preach Christ crucified. Lord, bring us back to the cross. You're the Savior that liberated us. We are the deaf and mute man that you looked at us and you said, be opened. Write that on our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week.